Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 836. I, I should have known. And I guess I, I, in the back of my mind, I knew we were probably going to get whumped one more time before before spring comes. But still, you're not necessarily ready for it. I had an absolutely wonderful weekend. I, I just did a, a wonderful, truly great weekend. And you know, get home last night, and I was I was going out to dinner, and it's coming back, and I saw some flurries starting, and I'm thinking, oh, it, it can't really necessarily be that bad. And then. Um, when you have a little dog that wakes up at 2.30 in the morning and wants to use the ladies' room, and the ladies' room is outside, and the little dog doesn't have much clearance over the ground, and you walk out, and there looks like there's like three inches of snow on the ground already. It poses challenges. Uh, Just all around, at least southeastern Wisconsin, we are just, I'm not telling you anything new, we are getting whumped. And um, whether, I don't want to say the road crews were unprepared, maybe it's just been coming down too hard, but road conditions appear to be absolutely appalling out there. I've been getting calls from colleagues who are, had flights at the airport and are talking about how they've been on the freeway for the better part of an hour. Debbie Lazaga is saying that drive time between Brown Deer Road and uh, the Marquette Interchange is, what, something stupid, 90 minutes? Crazy things like that. Now, hopefully it will get a little bit better as the day goes on, but I'm looking at our traffic cameras Things are just absolutely crawling, and those are on the main roads. Then, of course, you've got the spin-outs and things. So my sense is really, really terrible. It's certainly even a drive coming in this morning that normally takes me five to seven minutes was the better part of a half hour just because, again, the, the roads are just so terrible. We start off every program with a segment I call Three Big Things. I, we're, we're going to do that, but I want to delay it for just a couple minutes because, and this is one of the common experiences that we all have when you get whooped by weather. And uh, at least around here by the lake, the lakefront counties, don't know how it is in the west or the northwest, but right around here, it's it's really bad. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are four, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will be adding extra traffic reports. But if you have been out and about, maybe you know you, you're in to work, you're listening, maybe you're looking at the roads, you've just gotten to whatever your destination is. Um, how has your commute been this morning? How bad are the roads? We're getting the reports suggesting huge, huge delays, but Let's let's have sort of an electronic town hall because this is the big event that is going on right now. And if you listen to the weather reports, it sounds like this is going to be continuing, at least again along the lake, for the better part of another 24 hours. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The text line also, if you well, I, I love to have the phone calls. That's what you do when you do a radio talk show. But you can also participate um also participate via the text line. Carol Bayview says KK and Oklahoma to 108th Street to Mayfair is one hour and 40 minutes. One hour and 40 minutes. Wow. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage uh, toll-free talk line. Let's start with Joe and Beaver Dam. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, I'm I'm here. I am safe. <laughs> I am dry. But if I had to, I'm glad I don't have a longer than seven minute commute. That's what I got to tell you. <laughs> well, I've been out since two o'clock this morning, and uh, I'm a truck driver. Right. And uh, left left Oak Creek at around two o'clock, and went out to Madison, and ended up in Beaver Dam, and now I'm heading back back into Milwaukee. And right. My question is, I I seen very little plows. They knew the weather was coming. My question is, is 
why didn't we prepare ourselves? The salt trucks weren't out. Yeah. The plow trucks weren't out at two o'clock. I don't want to say anything, but you know they they always you know they always uh, but the right. roads were treacherous at two o'clock. Right. Well, no, and I think I mean thanks. I mean, see, I always say that thanks. To, I always say that we do snow well. I was a little bit surprised in the community I live in. Like I say, I would. The dog gets up at two thirty in the morning. She's got to go out. And there certainly we hadn't seen any plows, at least in the area where I live. And they normally do a pretty good job by by two thirty. The, the roads there, there hadn't been plows out. I don't think there was salt down, um, and it was snowing hard then. Uh, let's see. Uh, good morning, Jeff. I left McGuanago at six twenty in the morning, trying to get to Northport Washington Road and Silver Spring Drive. I still have a half hour to go. Wow. So somebody, somebody from Iguanago trying to get to essentially where Bayshore is. And that's, they left at 6.30. That would normally be a 45-minute drive. They're still there. Jeff from Mequon says, roads are bad enough. Then you get idiots who don't clean the snow off their cars. Can't see snow is flying off the roads. Um, 794 to downtown from Pennsylvania Avenue is over 40 minutes. Wow. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mark in Whitefish Bay. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I dropped my girlfriend off on Good Hope uh, right right in Brown Deer, mm-hmm. and I'm on South Lake Drive, and I'm almost to Silver Spring, and it's taken me almost 40 minutes. I thought Lake Drive would have been quick. Right. Stay away from Lake Drive, Milwaukee, going southbound. Avoid it like the plague. It's really bad. Because that would normally be, what, about a 15-minute drive tops, huh? I thought, thought, you know what, the freeway looks bad. I'll take Lake Drive. It'll be quick. It's not quick. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no. Thanks. I mean, look, I I understand. I mean, people people have to get out. They have to drive different places. But um, it's... It it is it is bad, especially now. Again, I don't know to the north and the I don't know to the northwest or the southwest, but again, all the Lakeshore counties, this is the real deal. Let's talk to Eric, um, who's calling us from the road. Eric, good morning. Well, I drove in from Mequon, jumped off on Lake Drive at Brown Deer. There are areas of um, Whitefish Bay and Shorewood that were a whiteout with the lake effect snow. Oh. I mean, what whiteout? You couldn't see two to three car lengths from front. Wow. Um, and I'm on 94 westbound, like 35th Street. There's actually a semi in the center. He's stuck. He's, his wheels are spinning. There's a car maybe 100 yards up, stuck, spinning. This is a mess. Yeah, and I guess, so you're talking, you're on the freeway and you've got cars that are stuck? Yeah, there's a semi. Wow. I mean, think of, think of the weight of that thing. And, yeah. And he, his wheels are spinning. Wow. Um, thanks. I mean, it's, it, I guess the bottom line is around here, it's, it is bad out there, and I don't know that it's going to get worse. Now, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure some communities, you know, did did pre-salt and things. But I'm telling you, a lot of this stuff, um, the, the roads are really bad. And I also appreciate that it's difficult to keep up when you have, you know, snow that's coming down like this. But the bottom line is, um, if you've got flights out of the airport, I would advise that you, before you bother getting in the car and trying to go down there, you call ahead to see what's going on. Like I say, a colleague of mine trying to get out this morning was stuck on the freeway at the Market Interchange. Says he's never seen anything like this driving down from the North Shore and the uh, you know flight canceled. Don't know when they're going to be able to get him out. So uh, be careful out there. We will continue to do updates. We'll come back with three big things in just a moment. It is 844. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. We start off every program when there's not a weather situation with a segment I call Three Big Things, things I think you need to know about to talk about at work or at lunch or whatever. Over the weekend, big thing number one, fake news. Huge, 
huge screaming wannabe scandal. And look, I appreciate that people could be critical of President Trump for particularly some of the ways he does stuff. But at the same time, it is almost comical to watch the reaction when it is the left and it is the mainstream media and it is Donald Trump screaming headlines all weekend. President Trump cleaning out Justice Department, firing U.S. attorneys. Oh, this is shocking. It is unnecessary. Well, really, put this first story in the category of fake news. Here, here is the thing. This comes from the perspective of somebody who spent a long time working in the United States Attorney's Office. There are 94 federal districts across the country. In Wisconsin, for example, there's the Eastern District of Wisconsin. There is the Western District of Wisconsin. For each of those 94 districts, you have a U.S. Attorney's Office, and you have a U.S. Attorney, and then prosecutors who work under the U.S. Attorney. The U.S. Attorney is a political appointee who serves at the pleasure of the president. When a president leaves office... There is a common expectation that the new president will come in and they will appoint their own U.S. attorneys. Now, sometimes if it's a situation where you you have, for example, a Republican president who is succeeded by a Republican president, sometimes those U.S. attorneys might stay on. But as a general rule, what, what happens is, you know, you're gone once the new office holders come in. So what happened is after and and of course, you know that if you're the U.S. attorney, it's a political job. You know, as a matter of fact, if you are, for example, a a career prosecutor in the U.S. attorney's office and you apply to be U.S. attorney and get the job, you know, at some point in time that you're you're going to you're like baseball managers. You are hired to be fired. You will be leaving at some point in time. This is not unusual. So what happened is after President Trump got elected out of the 94 U.S. attorneys, 47 of them resigned over the course of either immediately or over the course of a few weeks. There have been apparently 47 others that have been just hanging on, waiting, waiting to be told that they have to leave. (laughs) That's essentially what happened. So on Friday, on Friday, the Department of Justice, the acting deputy attorney general, you know, called up the remaining holdovers and said, you're out. You know, we, we, we want your letter of resignation. And then what happens is there's an interim U.S. attorney, typically somebody who's in the office, who then runs the office for a few months until the, the designees can be appointed. Well, if you were reading the Washington Post or the New York Times or USA Today or any of these other public, oh, this is terrible. It's a purging. Here's Donald Trump. He's getting rid of all these folks. This is awful. Well, all right, reality check. It, it's it's not awful, and it happens all the time. It is a routine procedure. I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in after Bill Clinton won in 1992, wins in 1992. Um, the guy I worked for, great guy, former Waukesha DA, his name is John Fryett. Okay, John was the holdover U.S. Attorney. And Bill Clinton comes in, takes over in January. They get Janet Reno appointed. And then, I, I don't remember exactly when this was, but it was maybe March, maybe April, maybe May. I don't know. But sometime in this general time frame, John was hanging on. He had not resigned. He gets a phone call from somebody in the Department of Justice saying, it's time. 
you know, you're out. We want your resignation. And he's gone that day. It's just He's just gone. That is what happens. And I don't remember this huge controversy when it was a Democrat that did that with Republican holdovers. This is not an uncommon thing. This happens all the time. This is the way it proceeds. It is not a scandal. Then you had one of these U.S. attorneys in New York who refused to go. He was asked to submit his resignation. He refuses. Well, I'm not I'm not going to go. And then goes running to the press. Oh, this is terrible. They're trying to get me out. Well, it's a political job. You serve at the pleasure of the president. And when there is a change in administrations, you will be gone. Now, you can argue that that might not be the best way to run a railroad. Okay, that that's fine. But that's not the way the system works and what Donald Trump did with US attorneys on Friday the holdover Democrats is no different than what was done during the when Obama took over it's no different than what was done when George Bush took over it's certainly no different than what happened I was there when Bill Clinton took over and it wasn't a scandal so why is it a scandal now well it's a scandal because it's fake news and you've got the people out there who do not like Donald Trump now again There's lots of stuff that you can criticize with Donald Trump, but I'm here to tell you these stories over the weekend about the quote-unquote mass firings of U.S. attorneys, it is business as usual. It happens all the time. It's not going to disrupt the justice process. It's just when you're a Democratic holdover in a Republican administration and you're a political appointee, you know that that phone is going to ring. That's why so many just resign and get on with their lives. Nothing to see here. That's big story number one. 850 HF Wagner 620 WTMJ. Our text line is exploding on this. People say, well, I, I didn't know that. I mean, that's really how these political appointees were. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. attorney, it's a political job, not the line prosecutors underneath it, but the U.S. attorney is a political job. You are appointed by the president. The Democratic presidents will appoint Democrat U.S. attorneys, and Republicans will appoint Republican U.S. attorneys. They serve at the pleasure of the president. The general expectation is once there's a turnover, you will you will resign. But, you know, you don't have to. You can stick around until you're told it's time to leave. And on, on Friday, the Trump administration said, okay, to the remaining U.S. attorneys, it is time to leave. This is the same process that plays out with the uh, U.S. Marshals and a number of other political appointees as well. So what happens in the interim, so the political appointed U.S. attorney leaves, there will be the chief judges typically appoint an interim U.S. attorney. It'll be a career prosecutor in the office. They will serve as the acting U.S. attorney until the new guy or gal is confirmed by the Senate. But this is this is not a scandal. This is business as usual. This is how it has always happened. It is only news when the Washington Post, the New York Times, USA Today, and NBC, ABC, and CBS decide it, they want to make it news because it's Donald Trump. Give me a break. 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 909, Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Big thing number two, the MPS shell game continues. Let us let us make no mistake about what, what is happening. MPS, the Milwaukee Public School System, wants to do everything it possibly can to frustrate the growth of charter, parochial, private schools. It doesn't matter if the schools do a better job of educating kids. For many people in the MPS bureaucracy, it's I don't want to say that they don't care about educating kids because that would be unfair, but they care about protecting their turf, and they view private school, they view school choice as a challenge to their turf. 
So even though we've seen study after study that suggests when you account for all the different socioeconomic factors, the charter and choice schools, as a general rule, and they're not all perfect, but do a better job, you, you still have MPS, which is saying, no, 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 we, we want to, to fight this. Matter of fact, when it comes to the issue we're going to talk about next, I mean, they are very, very clear about how they feel. MPS has a number of vacant or grossly underutilized school buildings throughout the area. There are private schools, charter schools, choice schools, whatever, who would like to build buy these vacant underused facilities and and put you know, and start th- their schools there because they're already, you know, conformed to be classrooms. Maybe they're in good locations, whatever. But they're, they're vacant or they're grossly underused. And MPS does not cooperate with regard to selling them. And it, it's very clear. I mean, that the school board director, Michael Bonds, I mean, he, he, I mean he, he's been upfront about this. He says that, you know, forcing MPS to sell buildings vacant, grossly underutilized regardless to private school operators is like asking coca-cola to turn over its facilities to pepsi so pepsi can expand and compete with the coca-cola company so the mps has no intention of voluntarily trying to turn over these vacant and underutilized buildings now the difference between coke and pepsi of course is that mps is subsidized by the taxpayers of the city and the taxpayers of the state that's the difference it's not like okay if coke which is a private company decides that we want to you know carry buildings if we want to carry areas even if we're losing money on it we're willing to do it to stop our competition from coming in that that's fine but it's different when you're playing with public money, or at least it should be public money. So in any event, in 2015, the state legislature passed a law which requires MPS to sell surplus school buildings. The problem with the law is there's very, very little enforcement mechanisms that go along with it. And you've got MPS who is engaging in what it certainly seems to be what I would describe as a shell game trying to avoid selling properties. And the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has just come out with another report. And they've been all over this. They've just come out with another report which deserves more attention than it's getting, talking about um, really the, the scandal that given MPS's budget constraints, including a looming $50 million-plus budget gap, that they are still not divesting themselves of unutilized or grossly underutilized buildings. Now, here's what their report finds. Even though the law has been in effect for two years, the city has sold only one vacant building, only one, despite at least seven different private and charter schools formally submitting letters of interest to purchase vacant buildings. They have only sold one. Now, how can the city of Milwaukee get away with doing this? Well, first of all, the city refuses to list all the vacant and underutilized buildings for sale. Only five buildings as listed as empty on their website, but there are actually 15 vacant buildings. And the report says likely many more that are underutilized and are eligible to be purchased. And this is because the city of Milwaukee still allows MPS to decide which buildings are vacant, 
This is the shell game. So even though state law is clear, the city uses whatever definition MPS uses. So MPS plays this game about whether something is vacant or whether it's underutilized in order to try to keep it off the market. And then, once it does get on the market, the city still makes it as difficult as possible to buy a building. And the example that this report gives, um, Right Step, which is a, a charter school, predominantly serves children expelled from MPS, tried multiple times to purchase vacant buildings because um, one of the partner, one of the older woman and the teachers union rallied against the deal and decided to try to, you know, kill this and use zoning laws to try to block the change. Bottom line of all this is there is a shell game that continues to go on involving MPS. And I, you know, MPS's defense, I, I love this, is that, well, we absolutely assert that the city of Milwaukee is following the law as it was written. So that's what the city says. We're following the law, but the key term is as it was written. So what you have is you have lawyers and bureaucrats probably working in conjunction with MPS to try to, again, create this shell game to make it as difficult as possible for people in charter schools or parochial schools or whatever to buy these vacant or underutilized buildings because MPS doesn't want the competition. Who cares whether the kids are learning? Who cares if this would be a great opportunity for other kids to get an education? If more kids decide to go to charter schools or private schools or whatever, that simply means that MPS is going to have less money. So we, we have to do everything we can, even if it means spending millions of dollars to to pay for the utilities of vacant buildings. And if there is a problem with the law, my advice would be to the people who you know, pushed it, State Senator Alberta Darling, State Representative Dale Cuyenga, okay, maybe it's time to toughen enforcement measures to really try to force MPS and the city of Milwaukee to comply with the letter, the spirit of the law. And maybe if that means you need to change the letter of the law a little bit, because, again, they're doing the shell game and they're shifting stuff and they're able to avoid it. If it really is all about the kids, I mean, why should taxpayers be paying utility costs for vacant buildings if really the only thing is, gee, this could be used as a school, and we've got all these private schools that would love to buy it, but MPS doesn't want to sell the property. It's not Coke and Pepsi. They are playing with public money. They need to be responsible public stewards, and they're not. 917 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 920 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number three, union bosses, look out. The Republicans are going after them, and I would tell you this is another thing where you would think from the hair on fire screaming, you would think that this was really a big deal. And the truth is, it's probably something that should be done, have been done a long time ago. Hondo, who's producing the show today and always, have you ever heard the phrase official time? It, okay. What that, right, not, not for race, right, force races and like track. Yeah. Well, official time has a meaning in federal employment law. What, what this does is it allows this whole concept of official time allows for federal employees it allows union representatives who are you know, federal employees it allows them to engage in union activities while on the government payroll so essentially the taxpayers are paying for the union bosses to engage in activity 
unrelated, well, I mean, not exactly what their job is. So let's say your job is, I don't know, you're, a, I, you're, you're an auditor, let's say. Well, and I don't know if the auditors for the federal government are unionized or not, but if you are like the, the union steward, you can engage in various types of union activity, not not as an auditor, and you can be paid for this. So the taxpayers are essentially, un- the union isn't underwriting it, the taxpayers are underwriting it. And it's not all union activities, and, and some of it admittedly is for arguably the, the good of other union members or, for example, if, if you're the union boss and you come in and you meet with you know your non-union management people and you say, I've got some issues with regard to workplace safety, well, even though you're not doing your job as an auditor, arguably you could say there's still a benefit for everybody talking about workplace safety. But that is, that's the notion of, of official time, that you can be a union boss on the public's dime you can get paid for doing union related activities but not union but not your job so what the republicans are doing is there is there's a bill moving through the house and it's going to get passed which would prohibit labor leaders who spend at least now wait for this 80% of their time on union related activities from counting that time towards their retirement benefits. So if you are a union boss and you're spending 80% of your workday on a regular basis not doing the job you have been hired for by the taxpayers, but rather doing union-related activity, you could still, you'll still get paid your salary by the taxpayers, but, you know, you won't have that count towards your retirement and the argument being hey if you're spending 80 or 90 or 100 percent of your time on union activities being paid for by the taxpayers you know maybe it should be the union that ends up paying for this not the company so what this law would do is it would not eliminate official time you could still spend all of your time doing union related activities and be paid by the taxpayers but that time wouldn't contribute to your you know, official retirement. Now, of course, you've got the union bosses and their allies who are just screaming, this is terrible, we're going to destroy the union movement. And you've got lots of other people who are just taking this common sense approach and saying, wait a second, if, if you want to be a union boss, that's fine. And if you want to have your salary paid by the taxpayers while you're a union boss, that's okay. But, you know, maybe there should, we should treat you differently than the federal employees who are really doing their jobs and working for the taxpayers. So, yeah, you can continue to collect your salary, but you're not going to be able to, again, put this towards your retirement. Maybe the union should, for example, take care of your retirement. Now, again, if you listen to a lot of the dialogue about this, you have some of the people you know, screaming, oh, this is just going to be devastating. This is going to be terrible. It's going to destroy the union movement. Well, my take on this is if it passes, maybe this means that the taxpayers shouldn't be funding full-time union bosses. And, again, I'm not saying they don't have a value, but maybe the union should actually be contributing a little bit towards that because last time I checked, when we hired federal employees to do jobs, we hired them to do jobs, 
not be union bosses. And if they want to be paid to be union bosses, let the union do it. That is the controversy about official time. It's going to pass the House of Representatives. It might be subject to a filibuster in the Senate, so I don't know how the legislation's going, but I think it is long, long, long overdue. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, here's a story that caught my attention. A Milwaukeean was arrested in Walker's Point after a crash involving a vehicle taken in a carjacking in Bayview. The vehicle and other property were taken from a victim by four people, one with a gun, shortly after 10.30 p.m. Thursday in the 2200 block of South Winchester Street. Police spotted the stolen car and attempted to stop it in Walker's Point before the driver fled and crashed at South 5th and West National Avenue, where people fled, one of whom was arrested at the scene. Police are seeking the three other suspects. Now, you might say, Jeff, why are we talking about this? This is just another day in the city of Milwaukee. Carjackings, people fleeing from the cops. I mean, this is this is Tom Barrett's thriving city. Why are we discussing this? This is not news. It is just, again, a, a day on the mean streets. Here's the dazzling detail. The kid who the one the person who was arrested, all four flee, they catch one. These are four people that carjack somebody, steal the car, flee cops at a high rate of speed. The one that they caught, he must have had perhaps shorter legs. Fifteen years old. Fifteen years old. Maybe he wasn't able to run as fast as the other three. You've got a fifteen year old who's out ten thirty o'clock, ten thirty at night, Thursday night, involved in the armed carjacking of somebody on the south side, 15 years old. And unfortunately, that's the headline in a lot of these different stories. When it comes to crime in the city of Milwaukee, well, age apparently doesn't matter yet again. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. New developments unfolding in the seemingly never-ending story of the Milwaukee County pension scandal. Who is responsible and how much blame ought to go around? Scafidi and Billstad dive in later today at 1235. The answer is there's a lot of blame to go around. And, it just, and again, it underscores why Milwaukee County, all levels of government, are essentially a clown car act. And whether it's the county executive or the county board, or the bureaucrats that work for the county executive, or the people in the pension system. It's just, you should not let these goofs handle other people's money. And it's one of the reasons why the sooner the Milwaukee County Milwaukee County government gets out of the pension business and turns all the retirees' money over to the state employee system, the better off this will be. All right, when this news first broke... We, we had a discussion, and I admit I was a little bit surprised by the intensity of the reaction, and that apparently has not changed. Let me back into this topic. Magazines, in general, are losing their appeal. Um, and I had a whole other topic worked out. I worked up about how magazines like Time and U.S. News, all, all the, these news magazines are are going out of business or they're converting to digital. The, the idea of, and it, it's the same problem that newspapers have, it's costly to produce a physical magazine. 
you know, that ends up coming out once a week. It's costly to print it. People want the information, but more and more people want to get it online, and fewer and fewer people are actually subscribing to magazines or buying magazines at the newsstands. Now, this is true of a lot of the big, big ones, but also... It's true of a lot of the specialty magazines as well. I mean, specialty magazines being, you know, a snowmobile magazine or, you know, a train magazine or figure skating magazines or gymnastic magazines or whatever. A lot of these, a lot of these niche sort of publications have ceased publishing over the last several years, again, because people just aren't subscribing. They are not buying them as much because they want the information, but they get it in different ways. Well, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin DNR, puts out a, a magazine, a Department of Resources magazine. And what happened is a few months ago, Scott Walker, Governor Walker, and the DNR said, we are going to cease publishing this magazine. And the reason they said they were going to cease publishing the magazine is they said this this magazine, it's really not involving our, our core values as what we do as what we do as an agency. You know, we're about, you know, the natural resources. We are stewards of natural resources, not magazine publishers. So we're going to get out of the magazine business. Now, this magazine apparently pays for itself. Magazine hit a high of about 90,000 subscribers in February of 2015. It's been as low as like 76,000 subscribers. It comes out once every other month. It's bi-monthly. It goes for about $9 a year, $16 for two years, $22 for three years. So it's, it's not a huge cost thing. I mean, in the scheme of things, 89, 90,000 subscribers at its high point. It, it's not something that, again, you're, you're not selling millions of copies. The contributors are not paid. The people who edit this work for the DNR. Um, so it's part of their job. So they are, I guess, taken away from their jobs to put this thing together but I, I don't get the idea that it is a tremendous investment of time necessarily. But the governor looks at this and says, I, I just I don't think we need to be in the magazine publishing business. Well, ever since he's made that announcement, um, people have been screaming bloody murder. Story in the Journal Sentinel over the weekend says that since they announced that they were discontinuing the magazine, Wisconsin Natural Resources Magazine has gained more than 2,300 subscriptions. So now it has about a little bit north of 82,000 subscribers. Since February 11th, subscriptions are up 3%. Another 350 subscribers renewed their applications, uh, their subscriptions since then. And there is this kind of firestorm that's out there from people who are saying, we still want our magazine. Governor Walker, rethink your decision. Like I say, this magazine, it pays, my understanding is it pays for itself, other than the diversion of some employee time as they put this thing together. But it's not like it's a loss leader. At the same time, it doesn't generate revenue for the state. And while some people are saying this is just Governor Walker's way to try to purge discussions of climate change or global warming or whatever, I think what it really is is just the decision that, hey, we're the DNR. Do we need to be in the business of 
Natural Resource Magazine Publishing. Is this something best left to the private sector? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Should Governor Walker rethink the decision to end this magazine? Should we continue doing this? Or is this just an unnecessary is it, in fact, unnecessary, and if the private sector sees there's demand, let the private sector pick it up? Should the DNR be putting out a magazine? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And and if you are if you are a subscriber, if you're or somebody who buys it on the newsstand, would you miss this magazine if it goes away? 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tom emails me, uh, the Department of Natural Resources magazine is full of public uh, info, um, not warden reports like the old days. It's uh, good stuff. Uh, let's see, Steve, on our text line, and we now have lots of ways to communicate with the program, our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Steve texts, um, I have voted Republican my entire life. I'm an avid hunter, hiker, and camper. This is a great magazine that has great information throughout the year on obscure parks, great hiking trails, new fishing holes, etc. new information that I would not have been aware of unless I read it in this great publication. My five kids, ages 15 to 27, have grown up with it and enjoyed it, gaining a greater appreciation of the outdoors. All right. The magazine, like I say, the way I understand it, it it is not subsidized by the taxpayers. It pays for itself through subscriptions. Eighty-two some thousand people now subscribe to it. There is a little bit of a cost because some employees' time are diverted towards putting it out every other month. Should we keep the magazine? Gina in Mequon. Gina, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I wanted to call today because I love the magazine. I've been reading it for years. I'm, I'm well over 20 years, mm-hmm. and I've given away subscriptions. And as the people t- that text you uh, have mentioned, it's it brings out things that you never do- knew were in Wisconsin. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a wonderful magazine, and it would be too bad if uh, mm-hmm. Governor Walker quit it. Uh-huh. So you've been a subscriber, and you continue to subscribe today to this day. I Absolutely, and I've given out, like I say, I've given subscriptions to a number of my family members. I mean, it's it's just such a nice, warm mm-hmm. magazine, beautiful pictures. The articles right. are wonderful. It's just too bad if he's thinking of canceling it. Thanks for the perspective. 414-799-1620. And I, I really am, um, see, I think this would be an easy question if, if, if this magazine were losing money. If we were... If this was a situation where you were taking a quarter million dollars, just pulling the number out of the air, a quarter million dollars in taxpayer money to help subsidize the magazine, then I think it's an easy one. I think you clearly say, well, no, that's, you know, it, it, that, it is a private sector job. Um, if there's enough demand for it, you know, let somebody else produce it. I, I do think it becomes much more difficult, though, given the fact that this does pay for itself, with the exception of some diverted employee time. How popular is this magazine? Ted in Milwaukee. Ted, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you, for a snowy Monday. Um, would, are you familiar with this magazine? Yes, I am. And what uh, do you think? So, well, I think, uh, first of all, I'm not going to say anything about what's in the magazine because most of the people ahead of me covered it perfectly. But what I have, uh, I have the outdoor magazine from North Dakota that's published out there. I right. get that subscription. Uh, and anyway, the real thing about it, 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 in the North Dakota one, 
they're a lot of family orientated. In fact, in front of me is two magazines. One of them has got the picture of my uh, son's uh, little grandson holding up a walleye on the ice on okay. the front cover. Uh, my brother goes out there because his daughter is married to a, the chief biologist for the state of North Dakota. Okay. So basically, I get the magazine free from out there, and time to time, I've been out there fishing with him. And my brother got his picture in the in the magazine showing him, you know, taking a kid fishing. And it's a great magazine. And mm-hmm. I think Wisconsin also has a great magazine. I get that one. And I also write for two hunting and fishing right. publications. Right. So you think there is a – what do you think its principal value is? Does it help promote tourism? Does it inform people about, like I said, obscure areas that they might not otherwise know about? I mean, what do you think is the big biggest value to it? Or is it just entertaining? And, well, and entertaining has a value, too. Yeah, well, it, it is it is entertaining to read. In fact, the last one I just read, there was articles about getting fit, uh, young children into uh, uh, bow shooting. Not necessarily hunting, but just bow and arrow itself. And, and uh, uh, teaching them, they have areas where they, they now do that. And, of course, being at the sports show this year, I've noticed they had a, that uh, one of the archery companies right. in town here had a booth where the kids could come up and shoot the bow and arrow, and they were showing them how. And... And the, the, with Wisconsin, we do need to save our environment. We do need to save the the sports industry as far as hunting and fishing goes, and the wildlife. And of course, there are bird watchers. You mm-hmm. name it. And I, I just feel that it it gives a, a plethora of information. Okay, good enough. And that that's that's about. Let's see. Uh, Dick writes. Um, I, uh, I, I get the magazine, and um, I really enjoy reading it. Even though I'm a lifelong Wisconsin resident, it's enlightened me as to places to visit. So, I mean, there there is – now, it's not put out by tourism. It's part put out by the DNR, and apparently there is, again, some degree of value to this. Kurt in Milwaukee. Kurt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? I've been a subscriber for 20 years plus, and what I find so important about this magazine is the educational value. Every time I pick up this magazine, I find something about Wisconsin I never knew about, and I've lived here my whole life. There's so many people that are young in this world that parents didn't get involved in the outdoors, and this magazine gives them an opportunity to discover things that weren't avail- aren't available to them through their parents or relatives. This magazine is great for educating young people as well as people my age, and I'm I'm in, in my senior citizen. <laughs> it's just a great magazine. Right. It's, well, it's, well, it's, 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 you can't find anywhere else any other subscription in, in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, and and like I say, I um, I if. If if we were subsidizing this, if this was like I say, we're putting a quarter million dollars into it, then I think it becomes an easier choice. But again, it's it it is it pays for itself with subscriptions. So if people really like it, and I mean, and I, I'm if it's got circulation of eighty three thousand, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of people, I think, when you really consider it. So thanks for calling. I mean, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I'm not going to criticize, you know, Governor Walker. I under for the decision. I understand. It's like, okay, it, are, are we in the magazine publishing business? That that's the underlying thing. But we are in the tourism business, and every time I have discussed this, this is now the second time. I am swamped with phone calls and texts and emails from people who who like it. Now I I get it that that might be a small sample, but still, if you're if you've got a circulation right now that's you know right around eighty three thousand and more and more new subscribers coming in, as long as it continues to pay for itself and people want it, you know maybe this is one where you just take a step back and say, hey, I, I understand what the public is saying, I like it, let's keep it. Tom and Eagle, Tom, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Hi Tom. thanks for taking my call. Sure, um, 
I give it as part of my conservation patron's license. You know, it, I pay $132 between all the individual licenses and tags and permits and points, and it's one of the few benef- tangible benefits that, you know, come from purchasing that bulk license. Right. Um, you know, I don't sturgeon spear, you know, so that, sure. but I pay for all that stuff, and it, you know, it's on my coffee table, and every time we have guests over, they're, that's the first magazine they pick up. I get the idea. It's well done. I have to, I've never, I've actually never seen a copy of the magazine, but all the input I get says that it's very, very well done. Oh, yeah. They have a, like a featured lake every month, and it'll be complete with a map and what kind of fish are in it, where it's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, again, it's just a wealth of information. It's like, well, there's a nice place. I, I get close to there. I never knew that was there. Yeah, and um, yeah. I think it does a lot to promote what we have in the state. Yeah, I guess so, I mean yeah, I, I, I appreciate the call, Tom. And we, I've got just a ton of phone calls from people saying pretty much the same thing. Look again, I I understand that the thinking behind this. You know, we we we're not in the magazine publish. We're as government, we're not in the magazine publishing business. We're in the the managing resources business, and I, I get that. But there does strike me as being a, a tourism value to this, and more importantly, people like it. And if the cost to the taxpayers to put it out is minimal, and I, I do think that that sounds like it's fair, it's, it's minimal, it ends up paying for itself, this might be one where the legislature and the governor might want to say, hey, we, we came out with this in good faith, but you know what? The people have spoken, and we want to keep the magazine. 958, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let me give you a tip. We're talking about Governor Walker. Um, He's going to have an appointment to make to the uh, Milwaukee County Circuit Court bench. What happens is if judges retire, um, the governor gets to make an appointment, then those judges stand for election next time an election rolls around. Dennis Maroney, who is a long-serving Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge, announced that he is going to be retiring. The governor is in the process of soliciting applications for that position. Whoever is appointed will serve until April of 2018 when they have to stand uh, for election. I will tell you, sometimes it's tough to figure out who to appoint. Sometimes it's not. Um, I, I will tell you, my former friend and colleague, Joe Wall, who's with the U.S. Attorney's Office, he was a former circuit. I worked with Joe um, on the drug task force together. When I was running it, Joe was my number two guy, an outstanding prosecutor. He left the U.S. Attorney's Office to be a circuit court judge, then left left being a circuit court judge, left the bench to go back to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um we need really good judges in Milwaukee County, and uh, Joe Wall told me that he's going to be applying for that judgeship. So I- I'm sure there'll be other people that apply, but th- this is this is one of these situations where if I were advising the governor, sometimes you've got tough decisions, sometimes you've got easy decisions, and if you have a chance to appoint a guy like Joe Wall back to the circuit court bench, my advice is, is two words. Governor Walker, do it. Just do it. So um, Joe Wall from the U.S. Attorney's Office told me that he is going to be applying for that job. Incredibly qualified. Uh, This should be an easy appointment. Joe Wall goes back to the Milwaukee County Circuit Court bench, and the, I don't know, the... It, in general, the judicial quality of the bench goes up astronomically. I am just saying. 1009, Jeff Wagner, NCAA Tournaments. Kicks off on Thursday. Games at the Bradley Center. This will be the final round of NCAA games played at the Bradley Center. Now, a couple of years ago, it was really cool because Wisconsin played. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, th- those that was really good. Uh, 
it is cool to go to NCAA basketball games. And actually, I was kind of on the fence. My my buddy and I were talking about whether we wanted to get tickets or not. Um, I hope I'm not misunderstood. But with all due respect to the scheduling, the selection committee, uh, I, I don't. I don't think the NCAA tournament game deci- tournament committee decided to. Well, we'll send the big star. The heavy hitters are not coming to Milwaukee. Let's see: Iowa State taking on Nevada. No offense to Iowa State fans. Purdue taking on Vermont. Minnesota taking on Middle Tennessee. Butler taking on Winthrop. Winthrop, Butler, Minnesota, Middle Tennessee, Vermont, Purdue, Iowa State, Nevada. No Duke. No North Carolina. No. Uh, just uh, you, you got Butler, I guess. They're a Big East team. But um, I, I think it would be fair to say that the marquee games are, are not going to be at the Bradley Center on Thursday and Saturday. Do not let that stop you from going because it's a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of one of those teams, you'll be really into it. And I love the fact that you're going to have fans from all over the country coming to Milwaukee and spending their money and things like that. It's just I was actually hoping, with all due respect to those eight teams, that there might have been some more star power that was there, and uh, that just is not how it worked out. All right. This is the segment of the program we call Dealer's Choice. I do it about 10.05 every day. Um, It's not necessarily the most significant topic of the day, but it's one that really has kind of tickled my fancy and I hope will tickle yours. It's a just what I think might be one of the more talkable topics. All right. The story, as long as we're talking about basketball, this – this comes from Des Moines, Iowa, of, of all places, the Boys State Basketball Tournament. A couple days ago, one of the, in I think it's like the quarterfinal round of the state tournament, two schools end up playing. One is Valley High School um, in Des Moines, and they play a school called Des Moines North. So they're meeting in the state, I believe it's quarterfinals. All right, Valley High School, the minority enrollment at the school is about 26%. At North, it's 66%. And apparently, of that 66%, a number of the students are what is described as immigrants or refugees. Okay, that, that's, the, that's the background. Valley High School has, like many high schools over the years, they have had various themed events for athletic activities. Um, For example, you know, last year in the fall for one of their football games when they were playing a a rival Dowling Catholic, which is a private school in the metro area, one of the things that happened, it was a, the, the theme was patriotism. So the kids at the football game, you know, last fall from Valley show up wearing red, white, and blue outfits. You know, that's it. In the students, student section, red, white, and blue outfits. So they've had a patriotic-themed thing. All right, so fast forward to late last week. Quarterfinal tournament. They're playing another Des Moines school that in the state tournament that has, again, about 66% refugees. And this is another one of their, their themed things. So what happens is a number of the students show up dressed in red, white, and blue. So they, they, they show up in patriotic colors. Now, as near as I can tell, there weren't racist chants. There weren't anti-immigrant chants directed at the, the other team. It's just 
this is the state tournament. We're going to dress up. Our colors are normally like orange and black or something like that. But for today, the kids are going to show up, and they're going to be dressed in red, white, and blue. That is the theme. (sighs) Well, this becomes controversial because some of the people see this and become extremely upset at it. I'm looking at a story. Um, A sophomore at North High School, that's the other high school, says, well, a lot of people were very upset about it. Even if it was their theme for the game, I feel like they have switched that because everyone knows that North is a more diverse school. So all these kids at the school that has a lot of immigrants, they start going to social media complaining about how they appalled they are that the high school kids at this other high school would have the audacity to show up dressed in red, white, and blue. The controversy becomes so huge that the head of the student council you know, has to send out a letter saying, it has been brought to our attention that the decision by the Valley High School student section to wear USA apparel at our game last night was offensive to members of your community and fan base. We are deeply sorry if we have offended anyone in any way. We have traditionally dressed in such fashion for great games, such as the one last night. Everyone here at Valley has immense respect, not only for your team and players, but for your community as a whole. Please know that our intent was in no way to offend or demean, just to support our team in a way we have done before. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here is my question. Do these kids really have anything to apologize for? They have themed nights. They show up at a high school basketball game dressed in red, white, and blue. It is a patriotic theme. The school they're playing against has a larger number of refugees slash immigrant, whatever, and they become offended. Have we gotten to this point in this country where you can't show up in a student section wearing red, white, and blue because somebody will find that offensive? And, and like I say, my understanding is no racist chance, no anti-immigrant chance. The kids just showed up in red, white, and blue because that was their theme for the day. Should they have been more sensitive, or is this political correctness run amok? We discussed. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Eric in Burlington on our text line says, this is the United States of America. My response to the ones who are offended would be, if you don't like it, maybe you shouldn't be in our great country. Jeff and Tosa texts, yet another reason I'm glad I'm no longer teaching. School needs, districts need to stop giving in to ridiculously squeaky wheels because they fear the R word, that R word being racist. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, here's the story. I'll... Um, Iowa State Basketball Tournament last week. Two Des Moines schools are playing. One of the Des Moines schools, Valley, the kids, they they do themed things for sporting events. They show up dressed in red, white, and blue. Well, the other school um, has a large immigrant population. Some people become offended. None of the kids from this Valley High School are chanting racist things or anything like that. It's just that the other school is offended that they have shown up dressed in red, white, and blue to the point that the president of the school, uh, of the student council, issues an apology letter saying, hey, we, we just, we didn't mean to offend anybody. Should they have apologized? Did they do anything wrong? Sue in Whitefish Bay. Sue, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Um, I guess my comment is they are immigrants. They chose red, white, and blue. Why would they be offended? I don't understand that um, thinking. Yeah. I think it's just trying to find something to be offended about yeah. and to 
put your name in the lights or cause a stir. I'm thinking yeah. this is so ridiculous. Well, well right. I mean, it, this idea that some kids that are going to look at, I mean, this is the United States. Now, like I that's, I mean, one of the big questions I had, Sue, when I saw this story was, were there racist chants? Were there anything like that? And there wasn't. It's just, this is what these schools do. They had a theme. It was a state tournament. They showed up wearing patriotic clothing. Why in God's green earth should they have to apologize for that? I think it's terrible that you're that we're even discussing yeah. that you have to apologize for being an American. When you look at all of these immigrants who want to come here, what is wrong with our children? What is wrong with America that we're apologizing for being who we are? Yeah, well, well, exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I okay, I have. I, I have a, a number of I have shirts with American flags on them, the red, white, and blue thing. I mean, th- this is this issue. Um, Cindy in Fond du Lac said, um, I was at the Oshkosh North versus Marshfield game on Thursday night, and the Marshfield students were dressed in red, white, and blue. I had no issue with their dress or behavior. And she goes on to say the two students were dragging American flags on the on the floor. That's a whole different thing. But but yeah, th- this theme night thing is it is not. This is not something that is new. This is the way it's, it's, it's school spirit, and one of the ways they do this, and at this school, one of the things that they've done in the past is, you know, we show up, we're, we're in the patriotic type of stuff. All right, we're really at a point in America where you can't do that in a high school without somebody becoming offended? I mean, again, this is, this is for people who are bothered by this, in my opinion, it really is the politically correct and the perpetually offended. Let's talk to Robert in New Berlin. Robert, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I was just listening to this. My dad immigrated to this country in 1921 from Switzerland. He says, when you come here... You learn the language, you learn the history, you become a citizen. This right. is what the country you've come to and adopted, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And all these people becoming offended, and then the educators buckling in. One of my sons just quit teaching because of that. He had enough of that foolishness. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, see, that, that that's it. This is this, this whole political correctness thing. Now, like I say, you, you can... You can change the facts of this a little bit, and you can say, okay, yes, this this was you know an effort to be racist or you know anti-immigrant or whatever. But but they didn't do anything. All they did is they showed up in red, white, and blue apparel, just like the kids had done, you know, at a football game in the fall against the private Catholic school, and nobody was screaming racism then. Um, let's see, uh, James and Kiwani writes, does this mean we won't be able to wear red, white, and blue at the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, is that right? Is this now the is this now the thing? Because we have a diverse country, and because you have might have I don't know some schools or some colleges that have you know a large immigrant population, does this now mean that we, we have to ignore red, white, and blue? I mean, where do you draw the line, Renee in New Berlin? Renee, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I agree with all the previous callers. I am so tired of this. You know what? If you don't like it, go back to your own country then. But but, but this is but this is for the people that are in this high school. This is their country. I mean, I who who? I mean, really, what does it say? I'm talking about the ones that were offended, right? But I mean, what does it say about them? This is their country, for goodness sakes. They're they're in America now. They're going to American high schools. So you look at a student section where the kids are wearing red, white, blue, and you're offended by that. Well, well, that that's what I mean. I mean, this is ridiculous. just ridiculous. It, it, it is. That's it's just, and it, it is so frustrating. But this goes on on a regular basis, and and all you need is one or two cranky, whiny, insecure kids. 
who look up and they see, oh, the student section is wearing red, white, and blue at the state tournament. Actually, one of the coaches from the school, one of the coaches from North High, the North High School, said, I didn't even notice this. To tell you the truth, he said, I, I, I didn't notice. I, I was concentrating on the game, so I, I, I didn't notice what the kids in the student section were wearing. But what he's probably saying is, I, I just even if I did, it would not have occurred to me to make this leap that, gee, you've got all these kids who are showing up in red, white, and blue apparel. You know, together it is this joint sort of school spirit type of thing. Gee, I that means that because we have a lot of immigrant kids, they must be trying to what subtly try to make a statement. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, we're talking about the kids and the kids and the kids, but do they really have the uh, maturity to understand what's really going on and really understand being offended, or are they? being manipulated into being offended by their educators or activists. Well, that's that's an interesting, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, Let's see, I'm I'm looking at... uh, like one of who's this guy that they're they're talking to? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thanks. No, that's I, I'm actually I'm kind of looking at the story. Who is this character that? Um, oh, like you know, one of the you know one of the people says, you know, <clears throat> any normal person. Oh, Valley students had chosen to wear red, white, and blue instead of the school colors. And this is this is another one of the coaches from the other team. Any normal person, any educated person can look at that and think, what the hell are these kids thinking, said the coach. That, and you're right. That's at least one of the coaches who says, my gosh, they showed up in red, white, and blue. What the hell are these kids thinking? Well, maybe... Maybe, Coach, what they're thinking is this is the United States of America. This is a school spirit thing. And if you are, in fact, offended, um, just life is tough, wear a helmet. But in any event, the student body president explained and then ended up apologizing, which I guess is the equivalent in today's society of an admission of guilt. I think they have nothing to apologize for. All right, the Declaration of Independence, it is the Declaration of Independence, says that we as Americans have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't say we have the right to be happy. It simply says we have the right to pursue happiness. There is a distinction. There are some people who, I think, believe that that needs to be modified. Right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and a cell phone. Here's here's the story. There, there's a lot of debate going on about insurance. Now, do we, do we replace Obamacare? Do you do it with the GOP's you know new act that Paul Ryan is pushing through? Where where, where does this this go? And of course, as with any entitlement program, and in this country, you know, once we've instituted an entitlement program, we, we've really never backed off. And so that's why what they're trying to do with Obamacare, even though I think everybody understands and agrees that there's large aspects of Obamacare that doesn't work, this idea that, well, it's been given to us, so you, you can never take it away, that is unfortunately very much ingrained in the American culture. So one of the things that we are looking at or the republicans are looking at is a more market-based idea with the the things the the principle the principle being here's what we're going to do um you know if you've got pre-existing conditions you're still going to be covered but if you drop your insurance it's going to cost you more to come back in all those different types of things And, and there's no doubt that the idea requires people to take some responsibility for themselves when it comes to trying to figure out insurance. Also, there's no question that 
any plan that you have that replaces Obamacare, while it will have subsidies, will, in many cases, require people to, okay, pay a little bit towards their health care. And that's where the discussion starts. Um, over the weekend, a, a congressman from Utah, who has been very cons- very controversial in the past, Jason Chavitz, he goes on CNN and he says, um, look, um, getting the new iPhone that, that people love and just doesn't matter you know, what your income is, you've got people who are running out, they're willing to spend whatever it takes to get, get the iPhone. Well, okay, if they want to spend hundreds of dollars on that, matter of fact, the new iPhone is $800 just to get it before you even pay for the monthly service. Well, he says, maybe... Maybe people should invest a little bit in their own health care. And this has generated a firestorm of controversy from, I don't know, advocates for the economically depressed, saying this is appalling that this congressman would suggest that, first of all, a cell phone is not a necessity. And it's even more appalling that this congressman would suggest that people should have to choose between paying for and buying the newest and latest cell phone and whatever the monthly costs are and instead contributing that money towards their health care. This is just terrible. How insensitive can this guy be? Doesn't he realize that a cell phone is an absolute necessity? And how dare you say, gee, you should take some of the money, maybe if it's a problem, that you're paying for you know, your cell phone and you should use it to pay for your health care. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, there is great outrage among the chattering class that some Republican congressman would suggest that having an iPhone might be a luxury and that on some cases, in some situations, maybe you, you would have to choose between having your cell phone, including the brand spanking new cell phone, and, and paying for health care. And that it is not unreasonable to say to somebody, well, maybe what you should really do is maybe you should contribute towards your own health care costs as opposed to expecting the government to do it all, especially if you've got the dough to pay for cell phones. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. In America today, is essentially a cell phone an absolute necessity and essentially an absolute right? And is it appalling to suggest that, well, gee, if you can afford a cell phone, Maybe, maybe in a priority thing, contributing to your health insurance might be more important than that. And I guess my follow-up question would be, where do you draw the line? Do we have a right to cable TV? I mean, is that, should you not, well, I, I mean, you know, gee, I can't get by without HBO and Cinemax and Showtime. How dare you suggest that I should give up my cable television in exchange for having to contribute to my health insurance. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1041. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so you have this Republican congressman from Utah who says, you know what? Yes, it's true that maybe for some people we're looking at this thing of rising health care costs. And, you know, maybe you might have to make some tough choices. And maybe, maybe you... 
you can't go out and buy that $800, you know, brand new, you know, iPhone 7 that's just come out. Or you can't have the $100 plus whatever uh, monthly plan. And he said, I, I actually don't think that's that unreasonable to say maybe you need to give up your cell phone or wind it down or not get the latest new bright, shiny bauble and actually pay for your health care or contribute more to your health care. And, of course, advocates for the poor are just absolutely blowing up. Oh, that's terrible. This is insensitive. Don't you understand you can't get by in America nowadays unless you've got... The big cell phone. Jake in Whitefish Bay. Jake, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, how are you guys? Um, very well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I just feel like it was an accurate statement. I I know myself, I don't have insurance, and I heard the statement, and I had to chuckle because with humility, I have to laugh at myself because it's true. I should have insurance because my health is more important than having a cell phone. Yes, <clears throat> right. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it Exactly. And I guess it's so it's just it's kind of a question of priorities. Right. I mean, you have to kind of make this choice and, hey, uh, maybe maybe I need to figure out where I'm spending money. And maybe I maybe in order to, you know, meet the deductibles or whatever, maybe I do have to give up the fancy cell phone or, you know, buy the cheap flip phone, not the seven hundred or eight hundred dollar iPhone. And and maybe heaven forbid, maybe I got to get rid of cable TV and just get the stuff over the air and only have three networks that I can get. Oh, oh, the horrors of all that. And the the people that they're talking about in in the the lower income class, I think those are the people that will benefit with Obamacare if they just actually went through the process to be able to fill out the paperwork and and actually try well well exactly i mean th- right exactly now i mean look here here, here here's the, it, the the big point is at some point in time people have to take responsibility you know for for themselves and this idea that the government is going to take care of and handle everything and that you don't have to make choices and i think that's what he's getting at and look and i i understand you know, um, buying an $800 cell phone and then a $100 plan is, uh, is, is different than, okay, what, what your health insurance is going to cost. But at least you are making a contribution. This idea, don't expect me to give up my cell phone. How dare you expect me to give up my cell phone and use it to pay for, like, health insurance? What are you? Are, are you crazy? Let's talk to Lisa in Milwaukee. Lisa, you're on 620 WTMJ. I think it goes back to a classic discussion of wants and needs. And those two concepts have been thrown so far askew by society in the last 40 years it's amazing to me everybody wants to drive the beamer or the volvo or you know the hummer but you really just need a hoopty to get from point a (laughs) to point b that's all you need so or or tennis shoes you know 200 hundred dollar pair of jordans great they cover your feet but you know what the twenty dollar shoes from target do the same thing there's no difference and i think um what what is a want and what is a need is a discussion that really needs to happen and be looked at so differently than it is right now to make this argument true well, right, and, and that's the problem you get with, with, in, with entitlement programs. And once you establish them, you have an entitlement to this, and that means that you no longer should have to make you know, the choices that most people make on a daily basis, like you're talking about. What, what kind of car am I going to drive? Gee, I'd really like to go out to the most expensive restaurant because I really love the steaks they have there. But you know what? I, I probably can't afford that, so we're going to go to McDonald's or we're going to stay home. It, it's those choices that you make on a regular basis. And I guess I don't know about you, Lisa, but I I don't think that's the war on the poor. It's just saying, hey, we all have to make choices. No, well, 
Yes and no. Unfortunately, um, some segments of society feel that what you look like or how you act or what you have on the outside actually reflects on the human being that you are. Right. And that's not true um, by right. any means. It, it isn't who you are by what you wear or what you drive. It's how you behave in yeah. human situations. Yeah, exactly. But, no, ex- again, that discussion needs to happen on a different basis than uh, I need to have this iPhone so everybody thinks I'm cool. Well, exactly. Right. Th- thanks for calling. And, and look, and I, I do appreciate that I do appreciate that there is a value to cell phones and you have, you know, that, that type of instant communication. But at the same time, do we, do we now have, is there now at a point where there is, if you carry this to its logical extension, is there now, is there the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and, and cell phones? I mean, does everybody, can you not get around in American society nowadays unless you've got internet access with the cell phone and things like that? Um, let's see, Aaron and Ford Atkinson writes, Jeff, I would love the latest and greatest Samsung Galaxy S7 smartphone. I use a three- or four-old Galaxy S5 that I have to spend an hour or two each week cleaning up files from because I run out of memory because I work with the bills, but uh, I keep... I can't afford the newest and latest and greatest, but some of those expenses that cost me, so I can't afford, it's money that's going to health insurance. I mean, that's that's the choice that you end up making. Um, Amy writes, it's appalling to suggest that cell phones, particularly smartphones, are necessities. Our health insurance for a healthy family of five costs $800 a month with a $10,000 deductible. We couldn't afford a smartphone if we wanted one, but we do have a flip phone we bought when our first child was born five years ago for 70 bucks. We pay $30 a month for service just so we have some way of getting in touch in case an emergency happens. We don't spend every waking on social media either, which is a good thing, but we're still in touch and have computers at home or work. Yeah, that, that's it. It's just, and, and that's what this guy is saying. He's saying sometimes that you end up having to make the, the choices, but when you have some folks that are out there who apparently say, don't let us, don't force us to make these choices. It's what happens, you know, every year. And it's going to happen again very soon because in Wisconsin, there is a moratorium during the winter on shutting off utilities for people. And we talk about this every year. I think I think it expires on April 1st off the top of my head, but I'm not positive. But in any event, from sometime in October or November 1st or whatever through April, they can't shut off your utilities under state law by because of non-payment. So what inevitably happens? You have a lot of people who decide, well... If I if I don't make my car payment, they're going to repossess my car. If I don't make my cell phone payment, they're going to shut off service. If I don't make my cable TV payment, they're going to shut off service. But the utilities, well, they're not going to do anything. So people make the decision. They prioritize. And they say, well, I'm, I'm getting the gas and heat for free right now. I'm getting the gas and electric for free. I'll worry about that down in the past. In the past. So they run up huge bills. April 1st comes around. They either don't have the money because they've decided to spend it on other things and haven't put money aside or don't want to make the payment arrangements or whatever. And then they get surprised when the power gets turned off or whatever. But again, it's this whole concept of of priorities that are there. I am concerned as concerned as anybody about the explosion of health care costs. I think it's going to get worse unless we do something. There, there's just no question about it. 
And while I think the Republican plan that's out there now is a good first step, it is just a first step, and I think there's going to be lots of changes that end up getting made to it along the way. Because I don't believe Obamacare is sustainable. I've said this before. I think the advocates of Obamacare know it's not sustainable. When it was passed, it was with the idea that this was going to collapse on itself within five or ten years, and we're going to go to a national single-payer system, which is, of course, the, the first step towards nationalized health care. That's what I think has been the plan all along. So that's why we've got to do something, if you agree with me, that single-payer or nationalized health insurance would be just an absolute disaster. Is the Ryan plan perfect? I I don't know. But the truth is people are going to have to make some choices. And this idea that, well, you know, we shouldn't have to make choices and we shouldn't be expected to pay for our health care, that's absurd. Ten fifty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes. Hey, if you were dragging a little bit this morning, well, it might be because you lost an hour of sleep over the weekend. We'll discuss that. New guidelines allowing for really tired doctors and former Milwaukee Buck in a lot of trouble for a gesture he made on the court. Stick around; I'll tell you all about that. Just a couple minutes. Uh, Fox News reporting: Air Force says words like boy and girl could be offensive. The Air Force feels that words like boy, girl, colonial, and blacklist might offend people, according to an email sent to airmen at Joint Base in San Antonio. Um, The email um, included an attachment that listed a number of words and phrases that might be considered offensive. Now, there are some legitimate, offensive, and racially charged words and phrases on the list. Um, This email was written by a senior Air Force leader, was sent to an untold number of personnel at uh, Lackland Air Force Base. Airmen were advised to study a list of words and phrases that may be construed as offensive. Here is a partial list of the words and phrases that was deemed troublesome by the Air Force. And again, I, I mean... I, I I just I hate to give the PG thirteen related warning on this, but okay. Just if if you are sensitive, these are words which the Air Force say some people might consider them to be offensive. Boy, hmm. Girl, hmm. You people, you people, <laughs> you people. I don't get it. Um, colonial, blacklist. That could be considered offensive, like they're on a blacklist. Blackball, as in, gee, the person was blackballed from the fraternity. Sounds Greek to me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Blondes have more fun. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Hmm. The memo concludes, please be cognizant that such conduct is 100% zero tolerance in or outside the work climate. Let's capitalize on our richly diverse climate and help others seek assistance if they are struggling with compliance. So, in other words, if you said, hey, I'm going to the girls' soccer game at my daughter's um, grade school tomorrow, you would be in violation of this. Hey, it's the boys' basketball tournament. Oh, look out. You're in trouble. Hey, there's that show on TV called The Blacklist. Look out for that. And if somebody said, do you understand what pinhead would come out with this list, and you responded, sounds Greek to me, 
Uh, you could, in fact, be disciplined. Stick around. 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, you, you know, uh, I, I, had a, I went out to dinner last night with some friends, and before that, one of my friends, she was in the uh, grocery store. She was like at an area pick and save, and she was saying it was like you, you would have thought that there was – well, I, I don't that you would not be able to get out for a month. She said the lines were huge, no milk, no bread, no sundries, just people piling in there. And I would imagine today is probably I, I would imagine today if you're working as a checker at a Sendex or something, it's got to be a nightmare. Oh, I can't even imagine. And I guess. And just speaking for myself, I have enough body fat that I could survive for several days. Well, this is not an issue. Well, well, <laughs> it's not like we're going to be cut off well, well, from all of civilization right, for a month. Right, yes, right. The, the comment I'm about to offer has nothing to do with what you just said about body fat. Okay, so that, that has nothing to do. But, but it, right, it, it's, okay, we, we were, I mean, I'm looking at the traffic stuff. We've got the traffic reports. It's kind of slow going. If you were going to have like lots of long-range discretionary travel, and maybe not. But the truth is, you know, people can get around, and it's 27 degrees outside. It's going to be in the 40s. By you will be able to get out to get to the grocery store this afternoon or tomorrow. You don't need to make a run on the thing. I mean, if you have a whole bunch of children, you know, and I, from, from what I understand, they can drink a gallon of milk in two days. You know, right. so I can, <laughs> I can, I can appreciate that. But for most of us. We have I, freezers and things like that. And, and, and food, and you and don't need to necessarily and, run out. So, so liquor, you're not liquor be, store, Jeff. That's, <laughs> well, that's, but, uh, but trust me, at least in my house, there's always a stockpile of that <laughs> left. And, if, 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 and I live relatively close to here, Janie. So if you're ever, if, if you can't get home and you Good want a know. place to have, have, have like liquor and beer, <laughs> come on over. <laughs> you're thank welcome. You, thank you for that, Jeff. Yeah. It's just, I, I mean, I'm just looking at this. And again, I was, I was talking to my friend and, and she was saying it was just like nuts in the grocery store, people buying stuff. And I mean, I, I I understand that there's a little bit that you want to do, but it's it's not going to be the end of the world. It's not Armageddon. It's just if you're out and about, be careful. We're getting whumped with the snow right now, and again, just just kind of be careful. But okay, the radio station's going to stay on the air. I'm pretty sure of that. And you know, there's you're, you're going to be able to get food and gasoline and things like that. All right, I admit, a little bit groggy this morning. Had a very very nice weekend. But I, I lost that hour of sleep. I mean, this was the start of daylight saving. Don't email me. I understand it is saving, not savings, plural. Daylight saving time. This was the start. We sprung ahead. Um, we did this because we fell back in the fall. You know, we um, had that extra hour at night. The One of the things that they have done is we used to go to daylight saving time later on. Remember, it used to always be a few weeks later. Then a few years back, we they kind of moved it, moved it earlier. So now the standard time runs a few weeks less. Even so, um, and I, I fully acknowledge that it was it was nice yesterday evening that it stayed lighter longer. So I, I appreciated that. It was a little bit rough this morning because, you know, when you when you get up at the time I get up to do the show, it's like it, it's it's dark. So there is always this trade-off. But more and more people are arguing that it doesn't make sense to continue the spring ahead or the fall back. And the general consensus appears to be that daylight saving time might be a good year-round thing, that there's just no reason 
to continue to do this. Now, the problem is you can't, for example, in Wisconsin, we couldn't do it and be an, I don't think it would make any sense to do it and have us be an island if none of the other states around us did. But let us tee this up. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We lost an hour of sleep over the weekend. Do you think it's silly to keep changing the clocks back and forth? Should we just decide one way or the other? And the conventional wisdom, by the way, is daylight saving time year-round across the country. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss. 1113, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, our text line exploding. Jesse in Green Bay says, I think the time should stay as it is now. I believe the majority of people would like to have longer daylight hours. Well, I mean, you're going to have daylight hours. It's, it's going to be the same amount of time. It just depends on whether in the morning or in the afternoon. Um, let's see. I think we should do away with it. Each year it affects farmers, cattle, and other animals who rely on regular feeding time. Yeah, that's the point. Um, Andy from Sister Bay makes the same point. Um, it, it's... This is an issue twice a year when this ends up changing like this. Uh, let's see. Greg writes, I hate changing the clock. Maybe at one time there was a rationale for it, but not anymore. Hate it, hate it, hate it. All right. We lost an hour of sleep. And again, the, the you could go either way. The, the general consensus appears to be that if we were going to have a national standard, it would be daylight saving time year-round to allow us to... I don't know, ha- have those. i, I got to tell you, you know, in like May and June, I love the fact that it stays light till 8.30 or quarter to 9 around here. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with, let's see, Steve in Delafield. Steve, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Thank for taking my call. Sure. I, uh, I like the year-round idea, but I think standard time makes more sense. I just, I don't see why we need you know, that much additional daylight in the evening. And certainly, mm-hmm. I bet you people with small children would right. agree with me on that. Well, and, of course, that's and, the, I mean, that's the problem, too. You know, you just, you know, it would be completely dark for pretty much forever when, when the kids are out at the bus stops in the morning or something yeah, if you didn't yeah, do yeah, this. Right. Yeah, right. That's the other thing. My other beef is in the spring or late winter when, you know, I'm finally starting to leave the house for work in the morning right. and there's a glimmer of light. And then all of a sudden, I'm plunged into darkness. Again. Well, well, that that was kind of the rude awakening for me this morning. When it's kind of like, because again, I'm same boat. As I get up early, it's like, oh, I, I, I've been noticing. Hey, it's it's lighter earlier, and now, of course, you know, we're an hour behind. Thanks. For, I, so, I mean, I I do I I see either side of this. I do. You know, I do think that it would make sense to have it standardized one way or the other. I mean, the the arguments in favor of this back and forth stuff really goes back to the time where we were more of a of an agricultural based economy and things like that. I mean, I'm just not sure that there's a value anymore to changing the time. Pick one, pick the other. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Dan in Fond du Lac. Dan, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Hi. What do you think? Well, first of all, what um, if I were president, Jeff? Yeah. I would make the time change Friday afternoon at say five p.m. <laughs> that we get a short day of work, plus you have the whole weekend to adjust to the new time. By the time Monday rolls around, you'll be all adjusted, and and there won't be as many heart attacks on on this day. But um, in seriousness, as hard as it is to adjust to, 
Um, I do enjoy having that extra hour, like you said, in May and June, um, so that I can actually finish right. a full round of golf after work right. and be done before it gets dark. So yeah. that's, that's a huge, huge well, plus for me. Well, no, it, it is. I mean, that, and that's, I mean, just on a purely personal level, that that's the value. Um, Jesse makes the same point in Green Bay on our text line. It's nice to have more daylight hours to get things done outside at home after work. Yeah, I mean, I... I will tell you, um, I, I wish every month of the year could be June. I just, I just flat out, I just flat out do. Let's talk to, um, let's see, uh, Pat in Burlington. Pat, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hey, the, the time shift mm-hmm. doesn't really bother me. Okay. Um, people talk about losing an hour of sleep. I think the only way that would happen is if you were to uh, wake up at two a.m. and fetch your clock and. I always wait till Sunday morning, nice and comfortable. <laughs> like yesterday, I started changing my clocks about 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, the beautiful thing about that, I change on Sunday morning, and I get an extra hour of Sunday morning. Well, that, that, I mean, yeah, and I, I understand. I mean, it all, I, mean, thanks, I mean, it all evens out in the big picture. But I think there's a lot of people who, for example... You know, maybe yesterday, you know, you go to church at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so the reality was you had to get up. You, you lost an hour somewhere. If, if in order to get to church by 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, you have to, you know, get up and start getting ready at 7 a.m., that would have been the equivalent of getting up at 6 a.m. the day before. And I understand we all adjust to these things, and people will get used to it, and your biorhythms eventually catch up. I'm just saying I think it's the bouncing back and forth. That I think is giving a lot of people, myself included, you know, this. Okay, why are we really doing this? What was the purpose behind this? And, and I, I will tell you. I mean, you, you've already seen it. Like I say, they, they've already. We we start daylight saving time a few weeks earlier now than we did just a couple years ago. So if we're going to continue to do this, does it make sense to, um, you know, does it make sense to uh, just, just continue that? And again, I would say, if I had a choice. I would, because it's nice to have all that light in the summer when people are out doing things, I would say keep daylight saving time year-round. Don't cost us another hour at night in the summer. If I were king, that's what I would do. I actually like his idea, though, one of the caller's ideas of doing it. Uh, let's start this not at 2 a.m. on Friday, but maybe two in the after- not, not at 2 a.m. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Let's do it 2 o'clock Friday afternoon, just saying. It's 1123. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven twenty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The Bucks head out on their longest road trip of the season. It begins in Memphis. It's Bucks Grizzlies tonight from FedEx's Forum. Our coverage starts at six forty here on WTMJ. Before that, you've got Sports Central with the luckiest man in Wisconsin, Greg Matzik. Why is Greg lucky? Well, Greg's lucky for a lot of different reasons. He's got a wonderful family, got a good job, but he's lucky because he was on a plane to Arizona yesterday. So he's going to be broadcasting live from spring training. So he's going to be down there all week. And uh, it, it's not just he's in Arizona all week. It's he got out before all this stuff started. So um, he's going to have Sports Central at 6.05. All right. I am intrigued by what you feel about this, especially if you've been receiving medical attention or maybe you have a loved one who's been receiving medical attention. What 
what happens is a lot of a lot of the times, like at hospitals and things like that, a lot of the the doctors who are there are are new doctors. They're they're, they're doctors who are in training. You know, they're the interns, they're the residents, whatever. And they're at the hospital, and they're they're the ones that are monitoring you. There are new guidelines which were rolled out. They go into effect July 1st. Uh, This is by the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. Here's what the new guidelines say. First-year doctors in training, the people that you typically see when you go into the emergency room or, you know, whatever, when you first present at the hospital, first-year doctors in training will now be permitted to work shifts lasting as long as 24 hours which is eight hours more than the current limit. So the current rule says 16 hours, and then you got to be off. This new rule is going to say you can, you can be up working for 24 hours. Um, the rules do not change for residents after the first year who have been permitted to work 24-hour shifts as necessary. So after your first year, it could go up to you're on for 24 hours, but now even the newbies are going to be on for 24 hours. The rule says that you can't work more than 80 hours a week. Now, our numbers, 414-799-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I understand that there is a value, especially in medical care, where if somebody presents like in an emergency room or something like that, there is a value of continuing care without the patients getting shuttled off or shuffled off from doctor to doctor. At the same time, I know myself now, and I know myself you know, back when, when I was in, in my 20s, and the idea of, of working on a regular basis for 24 hours solid, you're, I, I don't care how young you are, and I don't care how good you are, at some point in time, I would argue that 24 hours round the clock being on in that fashion, you're you're going to burn out and you're going to make mistakes. And the last thing, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want is if I present with a somewhat serious condition into an emergency room, do I really want the doctor that's been up for 22 and a half hours being the one that's going to assess me? But yet that's where the standard is. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These new rules go into effect July 1st, 24 hours. Is it a good idea to allow people to be working for that long in a stretch, especially doctors? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eleven thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They've just changed the rules. So for for doctors, first year doctors, um, generally speaking, like the first line people that you're going to be seeing, uh, they can now be up. They could be on call for twenty four hours a day. Twenty four hours a day. Now just just kind of think about that. Do you really want to be? The guy, like I say, that presents at that emergency room, and it's, the, and you're dealing with a doctor that's been awake for 23 hours. Um, on our text line, let's see, um, we have Colleen. Let me pull these things up here. On our text line, we have uh, Colleen who writes, 
I let's see. Um, I do. I'm a um, Connie. As a registered nurse, I'm totally against this. Way too much room for errors. I am in agreement with you. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, intrigued by this. Do the fire department's paramedics still have something similar? If so, there's something debatable in this entire practice as well. Another text. I do not agree with anyone working a 24-hour shift, let alone someone in the medical profession. I want that person to, you know, be sharp and on the top of uh, and on the top of their game. Um, Jeff. If a doctor works for 24 hours, um, you know, that doctor will end up dying. Who's going to be around to work on this? Um, another email from Jay and Grafton. OSHA has been cutting the number of hours a person can drive a truck. How is our doctors... How can doctors be going the other way? I work for utility, and we can work 16, 18 with permission, but need to be off the road by 18. At 16, you're dragging and trying to focus to finish jobs. Sorry, I wouldn't want a doctor with that many hours working on me. Yeah, I just, this, when I saw this story, it was just absolutely amazing to me that you would have somebody who could conceivably be up for 24 hours. Now, I understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be working for all those 24 hours. Maybe they can go and they can catch a cat nap or something in between. But but still, you are going to be you are going to be tired and your your judgment ends up getting questioned. Look, and I I understand now that at my age, you know, if if I were like working twenty four hours solid, you know, your skills would kind of atrophy. But even back, for example, when I was in my mid twenties and had a lot more energy than I have now, I understand that the impact would be, well, um, what what's going to what's going to be going on? And you know that your decision making process isn't going to be the great greatest. I mean, I can remember practicing law even when I was in my twenties and in my early thirties. I can remember the whole situation of yeah, every once in a while you'd have to pull an all nighter, but even with that, you're dragging for a couple days. If this is going to be the regular scheduling that you have, you know, doctors who are on round the clock, uh, wow. I mean, is that really in the interest of the, the patients? Now, it's convenient from a scheduling perspective, I guess, but still. Let's talk to Carrie in Brookfield. Carrie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Carrie. Yeah. Hi, Carrie. Hi. What do you think? Oh, hi. Is this Jeff? It is. You're on the air, so don't say bad oh, words. okay. No, I won't. <laughs> well, I only have a few minutes because I'm leaving to go someplace, obviously, in this <laughs> storm. But I heard on Good Morning America that if they work... A 24-hour shift, they have the next day off, so they can catch up on their sleep. But if they work 16, they go home and sleep in their back that next day again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which one is worse. Yeah, it's still, I, I guess it's a horse apiece. But right. I, I just, I guess at the same time, Carrie, I don't want really tired doctors making medical decisions involving me. You know what no, I mean? I agree with you, but I think, well, my brother had gone to med school, and I know they had to go through all those things, and I don't think he ever lost the patient and like you said they are probably surrounded by other you know medical people too i guess i just don't understand the purpose of 24-hour shifts you know that's the that thanks i mean that see that's the bigger thing i mean look i i understand you want to have a boot camp type of thing and you want to drill people for this but but still um 
you know, this whole, you know, 24 hour on a regular basis mentality. I'm getting a text about this. And I understand if you're a combat soldier, I, I get that it is a different type of thing. But we're not talking about combat soldiers. We're talking about, you know, people who are training to take care of us. And I, I think that's that's what the concern would be. Marty and Mequon. Marty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Marty. Hey, uh, well, as I told your screener, I don't think it's a big deal because just because you're on a 24-hour shift doesn't mean you're working 24 hours. Um, firemen already do this. Um, it's just they have to be at the station in case they take a, an alert where they have to go out to some place, but it doesn't mean they can't be sleeping maybe eight hours a day or something like that. So I don't think it's a big deal. Well, why do you think they didn't do it before, though? I mean, I before know. it used to be I, 16 hours. I'm yeah. not going to try to explain that. <laughs> okay. But, uh, okay, fair no, right. Fair enough. No, thanks. I think the reason they didn't do it before is because they probably recognized that it wasn't necessarily that great idea, but they did do it, I mean, with the, with the residents. After your first year, it could always be 24 hours on. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, hopefully, hopefully you're going to be in a situation where you're going to maybe be able to get a little bit of rest, but, but still – 24 hours solid making medical decisions, I don't think is necessarily the best thing. And I am interested, we're going away from that, whether it's truck drivers or airplane pilots or whatever, we're moving in the other direction, recognizing that people who are tired are more likely to make mistakes. And so then it becomes a question of why are we going the other way when it comes to the medical profession? Hondo, who's producing the show today, and all, have you been watching this? They're, they must be having some sort of team-building stuff are going on because I've been watching all these people in management and, like, sales departments running around. They've got, like, red bandanas on and, and armbands and things like that. I, 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 I don't know if it's a scavenger hunt or some team-building exercise or... Or whatever. I'm just uh, just asking. Another text. I would be interested to see how many more malpractice lawsuits come about. Yeah, that, well, that's that's again. That's the you know that's the other issue that's there. It's 11:43. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. When we come back, a former Milwaukee Buck is in a lot of trouble. We'll discuss. It is 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, we'll continue to keep uh, you updated as the traffic. It looks, uh, I was going to say, it looks like it's been moving better on some of the freeways, and then I just kind of looked at our traffic cameras. And and if you get into one of those areas where there is a problem, there is a problem. But we'll continue to keep you updated um, all afternoon as the snow moves in off and on. And It's really wild. Looking at the radar, um, if you're... West of Oconomowoc, for example, along I-94, there, there, there doesn't appear to be any snow at all. It's just this monster snow band, essentially from Oconomowoc, uh, pretty much down to the state line and north to West Bend, <laughs> and, and then all to the east. And that's that's where it's centered, some up in Sheboygan as well. But it appears that that's going to be with us for a lengthy period of time. So welcome to winter in Wisconsin. Uh, it's Mother Nature had one more... One more surprise for us, I guess. Maybe it shouldn't even be said to be a surprise. Hey, if you heard heads exploding over the weekend, it was because of the new chief of the EPA. His name is Scott Pruitt. And he, late last week, he had the audacity to do what you just not do not do anymore. He had the audacity to open a dialogue on global warming and question whether... 
carbon dioxide is the main cause of global warming. Now, let me back up. I'm not a global warming denier. I mean, I'm not a climate change denier. There is, There are more people on the planet than ever. And so it seems to me it only makes sense that there's more demands on 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 resources. So, yes, is there perhaps a human effect on the climate? I, I acknowledge that. In addition to acknowledging that, I also accept the proposition that as more and more countries become industrialized and you, you have you know increasing carbon emissions. So, I mean, yes, I, I appreciate all that. To me, the big issue, though, is is what does this really mean for the future of the planet? That's, to me, the question about it. And is carbon dioxide, is that the is that really what is driving this, or are there other things? So anyhow, Pruitt goes on um, CNBC, and this is what he says. Measuring with precision human activity on the climate is something that's very challenging to do. Okay. Measuring with precision human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do. And there is tremendous disagreement about the degree of impact. So, no, I would not agree that CO2 is a primary contributor to global warming that we see. But we do need to continue to review the anal- and analyze. So he's not denying that there there is global warming that is going on. Um, but he's saying, you know, it's tough to figure out exactly what the cause is. So I want to continue study this. Well, okay, this then causes heads to explode. Um, National Review describes this as the climate tribe goes ballistic, trotting out the usual platitudes about a 97% consensus, settled science, climate deniers, blah, 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 blah. But um, what, what Pruitt was doing is really setting the stage for a critical debate, not about is there global warming, but about how much impact CO2 has on on the global warming. And one of the things that a number of scientists feel is that there's carbon dioxide gets too much blame, too much warning gets too much warming gets attributed to that as opposed to other things. And sciences, free, scientists frequently make adjustments on models, and they often overstate carbon, carbon dioxide's impact on warming. So this isn't about climate change denial. It's not about denying that there is, in fact, some global warming. But at, at the same time, it's saying, okay, let's figure out why this is really going on, and is is carbon dioxide is that the principal factor, or might there be other things? And maybe are we, again, overstating the role that it plays? Now, I understand that for the left, there is this blind allegiance to, well, the cli- it's, it's carbon dioxide, it's all these things. I think that you can acknowledge that the climate is changing. I think you can acknowledge that there's some degree of global warming without necessarily buying to, into this idea that, it, that it's all carbon dioxide. There might, in fact, be other things that are going on here and then of course the other larger question is what if anything do you end up doing about it given the fact that once again you have more people on the planet and you have more people who are putting demands on resources and more countries that are becoming industrialized so the left's head exploded when Pruitt said this stuff actually if you look at what he said it's not quite as out there it's nowhere near as out there as some people would have you believe so Brandon Jennings, remember Brandon Jennings, the Bucks drafted him 
Um, he was their starting guard. Actually, one of the worst things that I think happened to his career is that his fifth or sixth game, he went off and scored 55 points. And then I think thought that he could do that every night. And I think his overall game deteriorated. In any event, he went from the Bucks to the Detroit Pistons. Now the Pistons, I think, dropped him. So now he's playing with the Washington Wizards. He gets into this dust-up. The other night, they're playing Phoenix. Washington playing Phoenix. And a, a semi-fight breaks out on, on the court. One player bumps another guy, and then somebody else headbutts the guy. So this is going back and forth. Jennings then, and he's he's smaller by NBA standards, runs in and starts shouting at one of the characters, and then he does what apparently is completely and totally unacceptable in the NBA. He extends his forefinger, his forefinger, not another finger. He extends his forefinger, raises his thumb to create the image of of a gun, I guess, and points it in the direction of the other player. That's been described as making menacing gestures on the playing court. He was ejected. He's been fined $35,000 for that. So there's all sorts of stuff that you can do in the NBA and nobody cares about. But if you extend your forefinger and raise your thumb, that's going to get you in trouble. Hmm. Maybe there might be bigger problems that they need to address. Just saying. It is 11.54. When we come back, we'll find out what Scafidi and Bill Stat have on their minds. 11.58, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ, Scafidi and Bill Stat next. Mr. Scafidi. Yeah, lots of weather, obviously, this morning, includes, including some really long commutes for uh, everyone, including myself. But uh, Eric has some news about that uh, that pileup on Interstate 41. Yeah, it was we, getting better, and now this is a dreadful thing. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like they could be there a while. A big accident on I-41 near 60 has both directions shut down there. We're also hearing that all lanes of I-43 northbound in Sheboygan County are also closed. This is near 23 so lots of problems on the roadways today. It's just one of those days. Hopefully, we, we don't know anything yet on injuries. Hopefully, it's not too bad as far as the injuries go. But we do know there are many people stranded, at least for now, on the interstate as they wait for this to clear. We will get you more details, of course. We're hoping to get a couple of those folks on the air with us during the noon hour so we can make sure we relay all the information that needs to get out there for everybody. Stick around. We will keep you posted. I'm out of time. I'm back 830 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Be careful on the roadways. Um, this is the real thing, at least for the foreseeable future. It's 1159. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.